quiver's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snowcap peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. Welcome back to the Track Quest Podcast. James Orr and Bob the Bowhunter Borland, episode 52. We've made it one year, Bob. Heck yeah, man. It's been a time flies. It's been a good year and it's gone by fast. So, yeah, time flies when you're having fun. I know we've, if we haven't, uh, maybe we haven't educated a lot of guys, but we've probably created some good entertainment anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So, uh, yeah, seems to be going over well. So we appreciate all the listeners and all the support. It's been fun. Yeah, and just a uh, just another reminder that Longbow Safari uh, is being hosted by Traditional Archers of Oregon, and it's an awesome event. We think uh, anyone that uh, has you know available time in July, they should come out and shoot it. But the downside is, is you've got to register by the 19th of May, which is coming up just around the corner if you want to participate. So traditional archers of Oregon, go to their website and get registered to shoot. Heck yeah. Uh, yeah. So today we brought back our uh, boy Aaron Snyder on the podcast. He just got back from BC. We, uh, did a little recap on his bear hunt, which sounds super awesome. That's a hunt that I'd like to go do someday. And we're going to dive into backpack hunting. Uh, we've got a lot of questions coming from our listeners, guys from the East Coast and Midwest that want to come out West and they want to do backpack hunting and they want to hunt elk. So we thought we might as well bring Snyder on to answer some of these questions for our listeners. And I think it went pretty well. What do you think, Bob? Yeah, it's definitely, uh, he's the backpacking master. So, uh, definitely. Even if you're not from the East Coast and some of you guys from out West are going to be like, oh man, I don't want to hear this, but he's listening to his tips. There's always, I picked up several things, just, uh, just interviewing him. So definitely, uh, pick up on those little tips. And for you guys from out East, we talked about, you know, basically the basics. If you want to hear more, his podcast is all got a ton of info on that Kafaru cast, but we, Tried to run down the basics the best we could for you uh, from some of the listener questions we got. And, uh, yeah, I think it went pretty well. Yeah, definitely take a look at uh, Kafaro International. Um, they make awesome backpacks. Made in America, which is really important to me and Bob. Uh, definitely one of the reasons why, uh, you know, we chose to wear those packs. Um, you know, besides Aaron is just an awesome guy and it's an awesome company, but you know, we like supporting people who keep, uh, all their business in America. It's awesome. Heck yeah. For sure. Um, so yeah, I uh, hope you guys enjoy this one. Episode 52, some bears and some backpack info with Aaron Snyder. Mr. Snyder, how are you this afternoon? Good, good. How are you? Oh, uh, we're doing good. We uh, figured you'd be a pretty busy guy today just getting back into the country. Oh, Lord. Yeah, you have no idea. Busy <laughs> enough, i got to do this podcast on the road. 
Hey, well, we appreciate uh, fitness into your busy schedule. Oh yeah, no, no problem at all. So, uh, how how was uh, BC? It was good. It was fun. Um, yeah, exciting. I had uh, a lot of a lot of bears, and I killed a big one, which was cool. And that ended up to be a fiasco, but got it done. And uh, went Winchester. Shot enough. I ran out of ammo. And uh, so uh, I got a bunch of photos of grizzlies and lynx and black bears, wolf. I just about the whole ran the gambit. I mean, it was an amazing trip. Yeah, I saw that picture of the lynx this morning on Instagram. Oh, that was a great, uh, great, great photo. Yeah, yeah, it was a crazy trip. It was good. It was good. I passed up a ton of bears trying to shoot another one and get a bigger one than the the first one I got. To a point, I think Frank thought something was wrong with me. He kept asking me, why didn't you shoot? I'm like, man, Landry will kill me if I shoot one smaller than the one I just shot. Yeah. So who who was on the trip besides Frank? It was, uh, yeah, me, Frank, and then uh, Buddy Gould together on Poison Dart Custom Longbow. And yeah. uh, Tom Clum, uh, one of the owners of Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear. So Tom, Tommy is actually his name. Tommy is Tom's son. Okay. Uh, Tom Plum Sr., so Tommy was there as well. So senior and junior or just junior? Just junior. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Hopefully senior listens. I don't know if he didn't like me or what I invited him to, but uh, oh. <laughs> no, I think he's super busy. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, give us give us the give us the lowdown on that bear you killed. Yeah, I, I, uh, I did a uh, I did a podcast. I'm regurgitating what I already did on ours, but I'll do it again. Uh, we um, we spotted the bear in this big field, same field I shot my grizzly in, and uh, you know it was maybe three, four hundred yards across it, and I don't know, really, really long. And it was right on the edge. I right when we got on the edge, I was like, Gary, here, there's a bear right there, sleeping. You know, just out of the den, not very long, and uh, you know he'd kind of eat, fall asleep, wander around, and. I was like, man, is that as long as, you know, to you as it looks to me? And he's like, yeah, that's, that's a big bear. So it was funny. I said, well, man, I'm going to dress up as a bear. I threw my black uh, swathy jacket on. It's uh, just a black fleece jacket. So I looked like a bear because I was stalking it in this big field. I got on the edge and, you know, just worked forward, taking a few steps, watching him feed. When his head was down, I'd move forward. It got to a point where I was 100 and... I don't know, 20 yards. And I thought, well, he's feeding my way. I'm not going to push my luck. And, uh, I kind of ranged, um, you know, different things in the field to, to know where he was at. And, uh, you know, I know my point on and everything else. So I thought, well, he gets to this and I got a photo I'll post. Uh, he's got me at full draw when it's at 34 yards, just fluke. He didn't even know I was at full draw. He didn't even know what was going on when he's taking the photos. He just knew that bear was there in front of me. And, uh, it got to like 34, 32, and I went to like half draw basically. And the wind switched right then, and, and, uh, he kind of turned broadside to me. And, uh, I knew he was going to hit the gas. And literally, right when the clicker, you know, clicked, he started to hit the gas. I released, I shot right behind him to the right. And, uh, I was like, well, crap, you know, that's not what I was thinking. I was thinking a lot of other things than that. But I thought, well, if he doesn't run off, 
he's just going to come back out and feed. You know, there, there was so much snow up there. He didn't have that much food. I thought, well, I'll just hunker down and, you know, I'd scoot forward a few yards. I'll kill him when he comes back out. And, uh, cause at that point I could have at least shot him coming back on the field before he winded me. And, uh, anyway, yeah, he, he worked his way to me and, uh, he started stomping the ground and huffing. And so I thought, well, hell, I'll just dive in there and huff back at him. Maybe he'll charge and, and I'll get a closer shot. I thought he was like 20 yards. Shit, man. I came over that hill and was, uh, you know, huffing my life away. Yeah. He was at like 20 feet and, uh, <laughs> he, cl- he closed the distance to five feet quick to a point where I was kind of charging down and, yeah, my fat ass started charging backwards. Uh, I was trying to backpedal. Mm. And I got an arrow off up in the head, uh, neck, like the neck shoulder area. And, uh, and I, I didn't get the full dry shot at more just because I was shitting my pants. And he, um, you know, just to get something at it, you know. And then it ran off to maybe 15 yards. And he must have thought I was a bear. And, you know, coming out of the den, he wasn't like, you know, clarity-wise. I don't think he was thinking... And, uh, I don't know what I was thinking because I started huffing at it again like an idiot. And man, he came in again to five or six feet and I hit him again. And, uh, then he ran off to like maybe 15 or 17 yards. I'm just guessing I didn't range it, but he ran out and turned broadside. And I finally got my, you know, the, wherewithal to pull my bow back to full draw hit the clicker and actually make a good shot and just waylaid them through both shoulders and i was shooting i got those grizzly sticks with that xxl real wide broadhead and uh then i hit him with that and it blew through both shoulders and that put took some steam out of him he didn't have any more funk in the trunk after that he wasn't real happy and then i put a narrow another arrow down range and I missed him again, and I was like, Jesus, Snyder, just hit this thing again. And then my last arrow, I hit him when he was trying to, like, because a, a bear that big won't normally climb a tree. He was bringing his legs up to this tree, and I hit his forearm right when it was crossing its vitals. It actually blew his forearm apart and into his lung. And then I was out of ammo, so I started to evacuate the area and uh, back back <laughs> into the field. So... It was funny. Gary was watching. He thought I was looking for blood. Well, I was looking for my other freaking arrow that was laying out in the field to go back in and shoot him again. And uh, I didn't find it. And Gary came over, and he didn't know what was going on. He could just see a commotion. And he was like, did you get a shot? I was like, shit, Gary, I'm out of arrows. I'm like, I went Winchester. (laughs) He's like, you know, he's got a – oh, he's got a thick – Canadian accent. He's like, oh my gosh, you super religious. He's like, what happened? I'm like, man, and I'm telling him the story and uh, we go out to the field to wait a bit because I wasn't overly certain, you know, with adrenaline running, my shot with that that grizzly stick was like as good as I thought. I thought I just crushed him and I'm like, well, you know, I've thought that before and it wasn't true, so let's give it a little bit. So, man, I went back in the wood line with Gary and I went in the wrong spot because everything looked the same. And I'm like, Gary, I shit you not, it's right here. This is not a normal client story. And Gary's been with me on several hunts. And Gary's like, no, I believe you. I totally believe you. And I'm like, it's got to be right here. And, and I'm looking for blood and arrows because there was enough of that shit laying around. You know, I'm like, it's, <laughs> we're in the wrong spot, man. Like, there was a commotion. And there's all this leaves is, like, not 
ruffled up. So I came back out in the field and we were like 40 yards off. And then he could see what I was talking about because leaves were kicked up and the blood trails, whatever. And there he was laying there. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. And then when he's skinning it out, the story started to come to life because uh, of all the holes in it where I was telling him I thought I hit because I was at kind of a down here angle and he was running at me and I was basically coming long ways down the back strap, but at an angle. So one was going high right to low left across it. The next time he charged, he went high left to low right and there's elongated holes. And then this massive hole in his shoulder in the fifth arrow, I thought I missed him, actually clipped him uh, in his back, just zipped across, basically getting a little bit of meat. And, uh, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of trad flags out there, huh? <laughs> oh. And so, I tell you, I, I couldn't make that shit up if I tried. It was wild. Man. <laughs> so, so are you going to start practicing moonwalking while shooting now? or? Well, I told Tom Senior, I was like, yeah, you failed me as a coach. You didn't prep me for backpedaling. Um, he was laughing. <laughs> I just, I've shot so many bears. I don't know how many I've, you know, shot, but I mean, 30 or more, yeah, a bunch. And so I know bear behavior good. And, and, uh, you can tell when a bear's real arrogant and cocky. You know, Lander's taught me a lot as well as the Lancasters. And, you know, this bear, when he hooked around and started huffing and stomping the ground, I can't say I knew he was going to die, but I had a real good feeling he was hanging around for the long haul. He wanted to eat that grass, and he was the cock of the walk of that area, right? Like, he owned that grass because there's not that much when there's that much snow. So I'm almost certain he thought I was a bear wearing that swazi jacket because I was on my knees. It just looked like a black ball. And then when I started huffing coming in, he didn't know what was going on, but he didn't want anything to eat his grass. And, yeah, well. That was that, and then the fury of arrows went off, and then we started taking pictures. He was big. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Uh, sounds like you might have been shooting a couple different uh, arrow setups. You want to tell us a little bit about your equipment? Oh, yeah, my quiver looked like a clampus. Um, I, I, luckily enough, I got those grizzly sticks in. Luke Johnson has been testing me to shoot them forever. And so I got some in, and uh, I really like those uh, – those uh, tree sharks, but they're real fragile and they hang way back on the arrow. So when I saw that XXL, I'm like, man, that is a broadhead for me for a lot of game because it leaves such a hole. So it was it was amazing. It ended up my gold tip pierce and the grizzly sticks hit the exact same spot. So with the grizzly sticks, I could shoot standard screw and broadhead. So I ended up having um, three grizzly sticks and three gold tip pierce. And the Pierce, I had Valkyries on them, and I had two, no, I had two, well, what, let's see. No, because I, I had a XXL uh, from Grizzly Stick. I had one Iron Will, one, um, <laughs> one from uh, Rocky Mountain Specialty or Cutthroat. Yeah. And then I actually, I guess I had two Valkyries because I had two of those big broadheads in my quiver because the first I shot, I missed was with that XXL, and then I had Grizzly Sticks and Gold Tip uh, Pierce Platinums, and they all hit the same at 40, which is as far as I wanted to shoot anyway at the most. So, um, you know, not to throw out a huge sales pitch for Grizzly Stick, but I was pretty amazed at the damage those broadheads did and, and the abuse that arrow took. Um, it went straight through both scapulas, and I couldn't find the arrow. It was I'm amazing, not- and you could put 
four vertical fingers through the hole. Wow. Where four wow. fingers stacked. Wow. I'm not uh, familiar with that that head. That is that. Uh, how wide is that head? What's the dimensions? Two inches. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not saying you should be winging that thing at moose and elk, but I, I, I'm damn sure going to be shooting it for whitetails and uh, black bear and probably mule deer, um, or at least you know have, being able to hit with all those broadheads. Um, in fact, Tommy Clum filmed me at 40. He'd never seen me shoot, and it was. Um, you know, not a, a bragging thing, but just, you know, more how lucky I am that those arrows all hit. I was shooting all those broadheads and a bear shaft at 40, keeping it in a softball, which left me real confident, you know, going in the bear woods if I got to, couldn't get any closer than 40 that I felt real good with my point on. Well, that sounds like a, definitely a lethal setup. Did all those arrows weigh close to the same or? Uh, they were within four grains of each other, four or five. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so you, close, and, close enough. And you're still shooting the Black Widow? Yeah, man, I tell you that bow. Frank calls it Christmas, which is fitting because it brings the <laughs> gifts. He calls it that because he said it looks like Christmas. But, I mean, that bow and I, it is lethal. Um, I mean, I say that and I missed the first shot, but it was a shot. I mean, honestly, I probably shouldn't have took. It was hitting the grass right when I shot. But, you know, that moment, clicker goes off and I felt good. And it literally was just. I mean, it, it looked like it zipped hair off his butt when he ran, but um, you know, I, I, I mean, with that bow, I just feel like I, I, can, I hit anything I'm going after. So I've, I've been super happy with that bow. That's awesome. And you've got a backup to it, right? Like a clone. Yeah, I got a clone, and I don't shoot the clone enough because for mentally, right, I, I feel better with the the mule deer elk PSA or whatever they laser engraved it, but. I called uh, I called the get Toby and I said, "Hey, can you get me them backup limbs so I can I want to leave the the uh, the clone bow together for tournaments and stuff, and then have that you know we travel so much and everything. I for hunts I want to have that other one set up with the backup limbs and uh, yeah, it's um, it was a good trip. And I I tell you like um, we had you know grizzlies you know come in and I got to about eighty yards from them taking photos and then. You know, I stalked into like five yards of this bear bedded and it, you know, Frank was filming. It woke up and stood on its hind legs. And he's like, you know, Frank's a smart ass. Like, you know, for a fat dude, you are a ninja. I'm like, shut up, man. <laughs> he's always giving me crap about something. I was like, yeah, we probably would have got it closer if you weren't wearing those freaking moon boots. He wears these neon green boots. But, uh, yeah, just freakish stuff. I, I came in on another stock to another bear. There's photos I took. I put the bow down it. 20 yards and got into oh man eight or nine feet of this bear sleeping and waking up i got some crazy photos of that and they were good bears like six footers you know roughly but um that one i shot was a a bit above that so um anyway but yeah it was it was an amazing trip it sounds like they were just coming out of hibernation then huh some were yeah you know i mean you get a little bit of everything um that one i had so the, the fingernails were worn down. It's, it's uh, claws or whatever. Um, and, uh, so it had been out for a little bit cause they weren't like super razor sharp, but, uh, you know, they're still groggy. I mean, they're trying to get that, that blood plug out. I don't know if the people understand when they first come out of that den, they got to get their stomachs working again. So they're looking for that real green lush glass to, to push that butt plug out that they built up as well as just get their system flowing again. So, you know, they just mow on grass all day. Okay, copy. 
It's awesome. That sounds like a an amazing hunt for sure. Uh, me and Bob, we would really like to talk uh, some backpack stuff today, if you're up for it. Yeah, yeah, whatever you guys want to talk about. Yeah, we got some uh, we got some listeners kind of been emailing us. A lot of guys from back east. I'm sure you get this a lot on your since you make backpacks, but they're just kind of we got a bunch of questions we wrote down for you just to dive into it. Kind of first backpack hunt, out. what to take. So, uh, all right, we're and we had this one one guy, Don Grice. We're going to give him credit. He he had it all laid out and all the questions. So we're just going to go for it. So uh, the biggest question, number one, how big should my pack be? This is first time guy going backpack hunt. How many days? Well, let's just say five days. Average. All right. Yeah, that is important days. part of the the equation. But if it's let's say we'll just do three, uh, say we'll do three to four, and then five to seven, and then uh, you know seven to ten. So, uh, you know, depending with everything being, um, you know, I guess meaning like you have good gear, lightweight gear, and uh, you're not carrying a ton of camera equipment. Anywhere in that two night, three night, four night time frame. Um, you know, you're looking at roughly 5,000 cubic inches. Uh, you know, you can go up to about five nights with that, um, 5,000 cubic inches roughly, and you're, you're going to be good to go. Um, you know, once you start getting past five days or five nights, you should probably really be looking at like 65 to 7,500 cubic inches. Um, you know, so you kind of think of five to seven days, to say 7,000 cubic inches. Uh, about what you're going to want. And then once you get into that seven plus days, which most people don't do, they have the ambition to do that. Um, but it's easy, you know, when you're sitting on the couch, seven to 10 days is a stint in the back country, um, yeah. you know, the entire time. And that point, you're really looking at what you need to strap out to the outside. Can you get a backpack bigger than 7,000 cubic inches? You know, how much food you're eating, um, you know, some guys can do seven days with a 3,500 cubic inch pack. That is a, a very rare few. But for me, if I'm going in anything over five days, I'm going in with 7,000 cubic inches on a hunt because I'm planning on killing something and bring it back out. That extra space doesn't bug me. Um, you know, but as a rule of thumb, five days around 5,000, seven plus days around 7,000. All right. Perfect. All right. Question number two. Should I use a GPS or a map? Well, if you can't read a map, I'm going to say use a GPS, um, <laughs> and then I'm going to tell you to learn how to read a map. So, But having said that, you should also learn how to use a GPS because most people just turn it on when they get there and have no idea how to use it. So I would say use both. Bring a map, um, familiarize yourself with how to navigate with it, but bring a GPS for plotting waypoints for – where your camp is, water holes, if you kill an animal. But not only that, if you're going in, especially with buddies, make sure that your map datum is all set up the same, that you're also set up all on UTM, uh, which is Universal Transmortator. So you're all reading the same type of system, let's say. Um, you know, when you look at, like, UTM is basically the, the map, the, the world broken into squares. Um, so whatever you choose to to go off of, make sure 
your datum is set up like um, like WGS eighty seven or whatever. I can't think it's WGS. So that's or World GS eighty seven is like World Geographical Study or Geographic Study. So it's when the map was the world was laid out or remapped. Well, if you don't, all of that doesn't coincide with each other. Your buddy could be giving you grid coordinates where to go, and you could end up in Cartagena because it's totally different than where because it is set up differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so my long-winded answer would be use the GPS and the map and learn how to use both, but make sure you bring a GPS because it's not overly easy to find your camp uh, to begin with, especially if it's a brown teepee or tarp. <laughs> Perfect. All right, and then uh, speaking of the online stuff, how to online scout for my location? Man, that's a tough one and probably the most asked um, because um, when you online scout, it depends on one what time of year it is. If it's, uh, you're going in early, you need to be looking up high. You need to be looking where they can feed, where they can bed, and water. Water is, you know, very, very key. So as far as... Um, you know, how to scout, get on Google Earth and just look at different pockets, as weird as it sounds, places that look like you would want to be in, um, that have water, they have timber, they have food, um, and then hope for the best when you head in because nothing's going to replace, um, you know, boots on the ground. Really what you're more looking for, in my opinion, is where to park, um, the best route to get to where you're wanting going and see if you can, you know, from Google Earth physically make it because Specific, like certain parts of Idaho, Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, there's elk everywhere. It's really going to be more of a matter of getting a base platform of where you want to go and then search these different spots until you find elk. Perfect. That probably wasn't really that good of an answer. No, that's perfect. Um, (laughs) And then what kind of food? What do you, what kind of What you can afford. Um, For a poor man meal, I'd say dinners, use, uh, like that brown rice top ramen and tuna fish packet. And then just truly poor boy it. Don't go buy pre-made granola for God's sake. Go make that shit on your own. It's about 75% reduction in price. So take protein powder for your milk for in the morning, make your own breakfast cereal, use the protein powder as a, as a powdered milk substance or substitute. Um, you know, so that's going to kick you down six to 800 calories for breakfast, a couple bars throughout the day. I generally do the butthole sandwich, which is a he's a gluten-free bagel with bacon smothered in peanut butter and honey. Um, and then uh, for dinners, like I said, poor boy is tuna fish and olive oil top, or uh, excuse me, olive oil tuna fish and uh, top ramen. Uh, as far as food to buy, humble foods probably makes the best dinners. They're not quite out yet, but off grid also makes dinners, breakfast, things like that. You know, you you can make a lot of it. What you really need to figure out is you're at 100 calories per ounce of food and then figure out your caloric intake of what you need a day. Um, so I eat like a horse. So if I don't want to lose weight, I'm packing in 3,500-plus calories a day. If I don't mind shedding a few pounds, I'm more 2,800 calories a day. So I'm at 28 ounces, usually actually more like 25 ounces a day. Um, and that's broken down into food, food that I really like to inhale. So I'm not making myself eat. Yeah. I, I also have been dehydrating my meals around the house. Like I'll just chop it up really small and then dehydrate it. And then I can take like dinners that I'm used to eating with me. And then, like you said, 
adding like coconut oil or olive oil to um, up the calories is, you know, yep, s- yep. some of the stuff that I've been doing. And then, like you said, bacon. Like I like to bring a bunch of bacon with me. Yeah, I mean, that can be – the food thing can be a whole podcast in and of itself because, I mean, uh, we make all our own food for the most part. And, I mean, you can get Idaho and potatoes, which are cheap as hell, and then take elk burger or even hamburger – um, season it with peas, carrots, or peas, corn, carrots, whatever, make shepherd's pie on a budget and, uh, you know, really have a good meal. The way it's lightweight. So the, you know, the food thing is such a trial and error deal. Um, I mean, I can wing it, show it up at a gas station and make it for seven days off. I should have bought in a gas station, but truly to be as lightweight as you can be and be as efficient as you can be. You also need to look at your macro. You need to really break down your fats, your carbs, oh, your protein, things like that. Um, so you're getting like wholesome meals and you're not plugged up for two weeks after the hunt, which mountain house will make you do big time. Yeah. Bad news. I'm not a mountain house fan at all. Um, yeah, I mean, since we're speaking to, you know, the guys that haven't done it, um, you know, Maybe they're from the Midwest or the East Coast or they're just new to backpack hunting. I think guys really need to experiment with this stuff and eat this stuff before they go out into the mountains. Uh, get it, get an idea of what this stuff tastes like and if you like it because you get out there and if you're happy with what you're eating, it could make your time out there a lot better. Yeah, I'm usually too happy with what I'm eating. Good Lord. I, um, <laughs> I got to put, so, I mean, when I make my meals, each day is in a gallon bag. So that's uh, coffee. Like, I pack uh, dark timber coffee. Um, they've made this thing. Do I know I'm supposed to talk about that? But I'm going to anyway. They made this coffee hot chocolate mix for me, and I drink that normally. So I have, like, a mountain mocha type of a thing. That's in that bag. Emergency packets. My pills for the day. I take krill oil, probiotics, turmeric, curcumin. All my food, everything is in that bag, and that is gone at the end of the day. But that way I don't undereat or overeat, and it's in a gallon Ziploc bag. And then I can use that for trash if I need to. If we kill something, I bring extra olive oil packets. I'll cut, you know, I'll, I'll cube up the, or not cube, but I'll make little medallions of the backstrap or tenderloin, put it in that Ziploc bag with seasoning, shake it up. Um, so I use those bags for other things, but on the way in, each gallon bag a day. Right, and then if you set up your meals a uh, gallon bag a day and you got to go back to the truck for another four or five days with the food, it's just it's there, it's ready. You just grab four or five bags. I, I did the same thing last year, and that works out really well. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, my, my daughter and my fiancé, we're, we're all into this, so we actually pre-pack everything. So there's usually like, oh, we usually have 60 days pre-packed, if not more, because I'm in the field so much, so exactly like you said when i come back and i've got a a three or five day trip or even a one-nighter i'm not scrambling i just grab the bag and and go i do the same thing with my my stoves and my fuel i have all these different fuel canisters you know laid out so you know if i have a few halfies and i'm going on an easy trip i'll grab a couple halfies if i got something like crazy hard i might even grab different I'm over geared, but I might grab a different stove. But the moral of the story is stay as efficient as you possibly can for every trip. It doesn't mean you need to spend a lot of money. You just need to use, use a lot of your brains to do it and uh, some, you know, elbow grease to, to get the meals ready and everything else. 
Now, if you're going with just one or two guys, are you guys bringing one stove or is everybody bringing a stove? Man, I, I preach to share stoves for guys that aren't in shape, but we never share a stove. Um, you know, stoves are so lightweight. Um, I tell people to do it, so I'm a bit hypocritical if you're going in with a buddy, especially if you're not going to leave his side. But, man, the way that, like, Frank and I hunt, I couldn't, I might not see that little bastard for four days. You know, it just depends. So if you know you're going to be together, it doesn't hurt to share a stove and a purifier. But the way that, you know, my crew kind of rocks, we, we're all self-sustainable. We all bring our own uh, purification or pills. We bring our own stove and everything else. Now, I will say it isn't hor- have a horrible idea um, if you are bringing your own st- or if you are only bringing one stove, make sure you divvy up the fuel canisters as well because, um, you know, share, share the pain and effort. Right. And I, I know, like, on water purification, are you still a big uh, advocate of the SteriPen? Yeah, yeah, I use a SteriPen, and then I use Aquamira generally, um, water drops. So when I do bulk purifying from my – I carry usually an 8- or 10-liter bladder. Um, I don't have it, water in it except for camp only, but I use the Aquamira for the bladder, and then I use my Nalgene throughout the day uh, with the SteriPen. What advice do you have for, A, locating water via Internet scouting, and then, B, locating water when you're actually on the hunt? Um, you, I mean, <laughs> hope, uh, pray. No, I don't. It's, uh, it can be shitty or bad. I can tell you that. It, especially in Colorado, you're dropping some serious elevation. As far as Internet scouting, I would say a map is probably better than Internet scouting because you're not going to be able to see in the timber where you're going to be able to see, um, you know, basically different draws that could hold water. And, you know, what I do, you know, basically is, is uh, throughout the course of the day, you're going to be hitting some of those draws. And if I'm pretty, you know, spart- spartan on water, I'll, I'll pack that big bladder with me with water in it Um and then on my way back, I'll mark water on the GPS and the map if I find it. But the, the idea being the last water source closest to camp, I make sure that I fill that bladder up uh, and bring it back to camp, even though it may be a haul, just because, you know, water is um, it's your friend and your enemy. The shit's heavy, but it also keeps you alive. So, um, man, I just look everywhere I possibly can. And, again, that's where, you know, the map can do more than – potentially just looking at an aerial view because it's going to show you, um, you know, where water should be. It's not always where it says it is, but, you know, you if it rains, you're going to at least find a seep or something you might want to get water from or pull it out of a rock, which seems to be we're having to do that more and more lately up high. Right. That's good advice. Um, as far as clothes, I know for me I'm taking, you know, one pair of pants, two pairs of socks, Maybe maybe two pairs of merino boxers. Um, I, I try to stay minimalist. Maybe two tops and a, and a coat. I mean, what, what does it look like for you on a five six day hunt? Um, I mean, really, nothing changes from anything from five on. Um, even at ten days, I, I bring one pair of socks extra, one set of underwear extra. The pants I'm wearing, um, I generally have, um, like a merino wool 140 count like a super thin merino wool t-shirt short sleeve i have a long sleeve shirt over that um usually i'll have an intermediate fleece layer a puffy jacket and a rain jacket and uh, that's about the most i ever bring 
Yeah. It's nice to have a beanie too for sleeping in or just to bring your warmth up. I usually have that for sleeping in or whatever. Yeah, um, I have a beanie no matter what to the point yeah. I even forget to talk about it because I, it's yeah. 100 degrees. I still have a beanie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice to have. It can really make a difference at nighttime, I think. Uh, what about first aid? Uh, I hear a lot of guys talk about first aid and some guys, you know, way overpack. Um, what, what does that look like for you? Not much. Um, <laughs> some drugs like Oxycontin or Vicodin or Percocet, some kind of a painkiller. Um, I have usually some type of super glue, uh, Luco tape and, uh, that's about it. Um, you know, I, I mean, it, you should have enough common sense to build a splint. Um, I mean, when's the last time you had to trach your buddy, right? Like, if you're at that point, you're screwed. You better hit the SOS beacon. Like, if you're at a point where you really need a first aid kit, how many people even know how to use it? My buddy's right. got a staple gun. Never stapled anybody together in his life. I'm like, well, dude, if you're stapling dudes together, <laughs> I mean, that's not exactly going to stop the freaking bleeding, right? And then... I know guys that bring um, that blood clot stuff. Yeah. That was made when you're supposed to, that's when you're about to lose a limb. That eats your skin away. You shouldn't use that shit unless somebody's about to die. And people are like, oh, I get this and keep I cut my finger. Yeah, hell no. That's for when your amputation is the next level. Pour that shit on in. Don't use it. So, no, I don't bring that because I'm going to have to give you um, a tourniquet anyway, which means you're you're going to lose your shit. In, to be, I mean, I shouldn't go on too much of a tirade here. You should learn first aid. Like, yeah. learn it. Like, understand first aid. Like, uh, like Band-Aids. I don't bring a lot of Band-Aids because they fall off anyway. So I bring Luco tape to at least cover the wound from um, infection. And I may have a Band-Aid to Luco tape over it. But what are the main problems most people have? Your feet, right? Most people get right. blisters. That's one of them. After that, it has nothing to do with the human body in the sense of wounds. It's generally back pain, right, which is muscle relaxer or pain pills, a sprained knee, a sprained ankle. Nothing in a trauma kit is going to fix. Okay, right. then you have migraines or headaches or altitude sickness. Nothing in a first aid but pain pills is going to fix. And generally those happen because you're a dumb shit and you didn't drink water anyway. So make sure and flush your system, a lot of electrolytes, a lot of water, and have the enough stuff to get you by in, in, as far as hands-on first aid, but also have the, the knowledge base of how to treat the patient, right? Shock, right? I've seen people, hikers especially, I've had to treat four people for shock and heat stroke. Well, there's nothing in that kit that's going to get you out of that one other than common sense and, 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 and knowledge. So I would say don't worry about packing as much crap in your bag, pack it in your brain. Right. Um, you you uh, referred to Luco tape, and I've heard you say that uh, in other podcasts, and I keep meaning to ask you, so I guess now's the time. What exactly is that, and where do we uh, find it? I get it on Amazon. It's just a tape that sticks to your skin, like, you can put it on your heel and stay on there five or seven days. Now, it also rips your skin off if you just yank it off. I've had guys, I put it on top of my blister and it ripped my skin off. Well, no kidding, dummy. You had dead skin and you got really sticky tape. Yeah, I bet it did. Right? You got to get it wet. But 
if uh, if you've got like a, a huge blister that you can't like you know it's so painful, what I'll do is take um, a band aid, get the non sticky portion over the heel, so I carry those big square ones over the blister, and then I put Luco tape over all of that. So at least builds down some of the pain and I'm not ripping my skin off. Um, if I cut my finger really bad, once I get the bleeding to stop, I put a smooth layer of super glue and then I'll put that Luco tape over the top of it just to get it to stop bleeding. One, two, keep it half ass clean. And then three, not reopen it again. And that's usually from a Taito knife and me not paying attention when I'm cleaning an animal. Copy. Um, anything you can think of, Bob? Yeah, um, you know, the back east guys are always, always asking about bears. Um, do you need to hang your food all the time and sidearm or bear? Man, I'm the, uh, I'm the wrong guy to ask for that. I'm bad. <laughs> like, I don't, I eat in my tent. I don't hang my food. I'm bad. Like, do not, I don't carry a gun. Never have. Um, yeah, didn't even carry one in grizzly country. Um, I would imagine if I lived in grizzly country more often, I would definitely carry a, a gun or mace or something. But I mean, here's another thing. If you ever have someone attack you like you're a bear, okay. And then have your gun on you, wherever it's at, I guarantee you, I will F you up like a football bat before you get that gun up me being the bear. So I think, being able to pull the gun out isn't as important as having the gun. One, like if you have it in your lid of your pack, you might as well leave it at home. Yeah. Right? You've already gotten probably eaten by the time you get it out. But mace, I think pepper spray um, and some of the holsters, FHF gear makes a really good one. I carried it up there in um, uh, BC. I had it on my side of my pack where I could reach it and get it out. Um you know, I just, uh, but I think you should definitely hang your food. I think you definitely should not eat in your tent. But as that, as I'm posting photos of me cooking food inside my tent, I would be a hypocrite to say I follow those rules. So before anybody sends me hate mail saying you eat in your tent, I know I do. I've actually put deer in my vestibule with me to keep bears away from it rather than hanging it up when it's cold. So I, I'm truly the wrong guy to ask. Good stuff. So, so with, uh, with tents, I know we've talked about shelters and that's like, could be a whole podcast and, you know, you can go to Kafaro cast and listen to you guys talk about Florida shelters and all that. So, I mean, we've kind of covered that and you've covered it a bunch, but like just a real quick breakdown. Like basically it sounds like if you're above tree line, um, sometimes you guys are going for a, a enclosed tent with the floor, but most of the times it sounds like a tarp and a bivy or like a, um, a tut, like a floor of the shelter is generally what you guys are rocking. We run, yeah, a tarp and a bivy and then we, or we'll run Hilleberg's. Um, it goes back and forth. We kind of just so we can speak intelligently about different, you know, options when we had a shelter. I mean, maybe we didn't need, um, but if the weather's super horrible, um, and there's no wood to burn, we carry a Hilleberg. Um, when the weather is good, we don't need to burn wood. It's not snowing or, or we are in wood and we need to burn it. Um, and it's really bad weather. We carry a floorless shelter, um, 
and a stove or just a tarp and a bivy. And most of that's just ease of use, versatility, and the, the weight savings. And it's not always a weight saving. Sometimes they get some pretty lightweight three season tents. We call them paper mache. Paper mache. Now, uh, Kefaro's not making a bivy at this point, right? No. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if we will or not. I've looked at, at uh, different ways and, and outsourcing them and, you know, everything else. And um, if I can get a company to make this one I've designed, we definitely will. I just have to find uh, the right company to make them over here in the States. So right now we're not. And, and we might, but I, at this point, I don't know if I'm going to find somebody to do it. Okay. Who, who would uh, you recommend for a bivy then, since you're not making them? What one would you recommend? Um, two different companies, the Rab um, Alpine, the Rab, uh, I can't remember. Just anyway, the Rab, look at the Rab bivvies. There's a couple that are good. And then the Big Agnes three-wire bivy for a hooped bivy is one of my favorites, meaning you get a lot more headroom. Okay. But I don't sense. want to church it up. That shit can suck. Like, you need to know you're sleeping in a Gore-Tex coffin. Like, it's <laughs> literally, um, you know, that's where the whole, you know, the tarp, like a lot of guys don't use a bivy. They just use a tarp, including me. I only use a bivy when I have to. Or if I know there's a very good chance I may be away from my main camp, I'll stuff my three-wire bivy or my alpine bivy or whatever with the majority of my gear so I know it's not going to blow away zip that up and then I might grab my tarp and take it with me for the day in case I get stuck out overnight or vice versa. I might grab my three wire, leave my tarp up. Yeah. And what, what tarp are you using? I use the super tarp in the la in the past years, uh, more than anything. Okay. And what is, what is that weigh? A pound. A pound. Okay. And then you just use, um, some like parachute cord to tie it out and shape it. I use a 2.3 millimeter guy line reflective. Um, it's, um, it's just pretty thin cord that's reflective. It helps me find it at night when I'm wandering around like an idiot. And, uh, that works the best. And I also use it to hang up quarters and it's quite a bit lighter and more compact than, than 550 cord. Okay. I'll have to look into that for sure. Uh, sleeping pads. Uh, it seems like you probably tried them all. What are you liking right now? Um, the lightest weight, I have two, um, one, an X bed, something light, which I should remember. So anyway, it's the lightweight one from X bed. It's like 11 ounces. And then I use a Thermarest X light, which is 11 ounces. Um, but again, you know, throw a little context to that, a caveat. Um, it's only 20 inches wide. So if you're a big fat dude or a big wide guy, I would get the wide version, um, because like even me, I'm pretty broad shoulders. My arms are kind of hanging off of it. I just got used to it. Um, but you know, you really need to look at the fact is, is the weight savings worth the loss in comfort? Big Agnes makes one extra, uh, um, Xbed makes a couple. They're real thick. They're real wide. It's like laying on a bed. You may want to go for that, you know, 20 ounce option for extra sleep. I don't sleep anyway. It takes drugs to get me to sleep to begin with, so it doesn't really matter. It's a moot point, but you might want to bump up. But the lightest ones are that Thermarest X Lite, and then I also have a Clement, which is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, which is kind of body mapped, and it's nine ounces. But that's not exactly the lap of luxury either. It's it's uh, pretty spartan. Um, I know I got a Cedar Summit 
Pella last year, which kind of sounds probably retarded, but the little thing doesn't weigh nothing and blow it up in a second. And it made a huge difference than just trying to stuff some clothes under my head. So I, I recommend it. Yeah, and I go off and on with the pillow. Um, quite honestly, it's it's weird. Even um, if if I'm in a bibby, I don't actually use a pillow for the simple fact that I've got so much crap wedged around my head. It's like a little bundle of joy and happiness. Mm. But if I'm like on the ground and nothing wedged around my nugget, then I definitely use a pillow. Yeah. Um, anything else, Bob? That's all good stuff, man. I just well, you know, our I'd listeners. like to. Oh, I'd like to dive. I'd like to dive into packs. Um, I know we <laughs> talked size, but I mean, you, have, you know, I know a lot of times you're reluctant because you don't want to be biased. But let's talk uh, Kefaro packs. Um, what uh, you know? What I know, you guys got a new frame and a new bag that's designed for wet weather. Maybe talk about that, and maybe talk about the different size packs and different options for guys. Yeah, um, we got a new, uh, new, uh, lightweight and ultralight frame, and we've got, uh, uh, the new, the muskeg bags, which are waterproof as well as some other bags. And, um, what really, what I suggest to people, yeah, I mean, it's weird as it sounds, it's kind of like women, right? There has to be initial attraction for you to pursue it towards marriage. So if you think she's ugly, you're probably not going to pursue it, even though if your buddy tells you she's got the kindest heart in the world. <laughs> pack is the same way. If it's ugly and you don't like it, you are not going to probably keep it. And I found this to be true tenfold. So look at the website. Look at the sizes. So if I, you know, say it's around 5,000 is what you need, go with the one that you have that initial attraction with. And I cannot tell you how many guys I've, and I've learned, hey, man, it sounds like from what you've described, you should get this pack man, I really like that mountain warrior. And then they'll buy the one I suggest. They'll get it. I'm like, man, I just don't like the way it looks. And they'll end up with one that is not as suited for what they're doing, but looks better. <laughs> Go with the one you like the way it looks. No shit. Like, <laughs> truly. <laughs> It'll save me, like, pain and frustration in our shipping people. Like, get the one you like the looks of. Because if it's the right size, you can fit the stuff in it you need. Um but you know, if you need, you're in a wet condition, that musk egg's probably going to be better. Um, you know, if you need something crazy, crazy versatile, that crater cavern and reckoning with the compression system they have are great. Um, you know, as far as frames, both of those new frames are the most comfortable frame we've made. Crazy durable. Um, we've got meat shelves for all the packs. So that's something people look at. And, uh, you know, and, and then again, I mean, truly like, the frame size, yes, you definitely need to take our advice, but bag size, go with your gut and what's making you feel froggy. Otherwise, you probably won't like it anyway. Yeah, take that advice. I told Snyder, I said, yeah, I think I want to try a 22-inch frame on a 22 mag. And he said, yeah, you probably want to do a 24. And I'm like, ah, I'll just do the 22. And, yeah, um, for now on, I just will ask Aaron what he thinks, and then I'll just go with what he thinks. <laughs> Yeah, because you were one of those guys I talk about. Then you called me back and said, I'd really like a 24-inch frame. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's well, a learn, learn as you go. I don't, you know, I don't get, um, I don't ever get frustrated about it because, I mean, 
you know, you get used to it, right? We're, we're, you know, dealing with customer service and customers, but every now and then I get off the phone and just think, wow, I do this for a living and this is your first trip. And you argued with me with every, not you, but some yeah. customers, right. with everything I said you argued and you had some hypothetical situations that I couldn't begin to even get myself in. And I told you that won't happen. And you're packed. You're going to be going in with 90 pounds and the wrong stuff. But I did my best to help you, you know, type of a thing. And that happens frequently. Yeah, we, we did uh, we did one with uh, uh, Emery Ronald. He He's a, a guy from Washington, and he's a through hiker and uh, also a bow hunter. He did the uh, Pacific Crest Trail last year. And he, he made just some good points. It's like, you don't have to pack all this stuff that like that's gonna help like the boogeyman go away. Like if you run out of fuel in your stove, you might have to eat cold food. Big deal. Like um, I think a lot of guys overpack, and then I think a lot of guys aren't taking the time to test. They're they're gonna spend thousands of dollars and drive across the country, but they haven't spent any time with their new gear out in the their their hunting spot or go on a hike, try it out, uh, get comfortable yeah, man, with I, your gear. I tell you, through hikers and mountain climbers, when I'm stumped or I have a question, very rarely am I asking another hunter. I'm going to the mountaineering store and saying, hey, what do you think about this? Because truly, with through hikers, I mean, especially when you see guys going really lightweight, I'm not saying put yourself in jeopardy, but I guarantee at the end of every trip, if you lay out everything you used, draw a line on your floor, put everything on the, the right side of that line that you did not use, that's going to be a big freaking pile, right? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff you just flat don't need. Yeah. And so when people ask me, hey, do you put your stuff in a spreadsheet? Do you figure out weight? And I'm like, man, what I need is what I need. And a spreadsheet does not matter. What I've got is as Spartan as I can get. Like, that's what I need to, no matter what, that is what I have to have. And it meaning like um, a headlamp, for example. I have a headlamp, and I have X amount of batteries I bring extra for the trip. Um, I have a stove, and I have the fuel I need for the trip. I don't hypothesize what I might need if this, this, and this happens. I know I cook, I boil coffee, and I cook a meal at night. And that takes this much fuel. That is the amount of fuel I bring because, yeah, you're not going to die if you don't have heat in for your fuel for your food, right? You might, I mean, hell, you can make it two weeks without eating anything, right? right? I mean, I mean, <laughs> hell, most of us need to not go without food for a while, you know, need to go without food anyway. So that guy is right, man. Through hikers are great to talk to for info. Yeah, he said that, like, the first, like, 400 miles in, he had, plan to up gear and what he did was he actually went and he mailed uh half his stuff back to his house like he he was like whoa he thought he had already cut it down but he he realized just on the first little uh finger of it that it was time to start and he said the whole way he was just getting rid of stuff constantly yeah no i i would say that's true i mean what kills us is camera gear truly like that's what really crushes us and weight but like you know, when we go in um, on some of these long trips, um, again, you know, I've got like four Vicodin, four Oxycontin, some super glue. That super glue is my archery repair kit, my 
my bandages, right? That's that's to repair my body, my archery, and my gear. Um, you know, things like that. Uh, as far as fuel goes, a lot of times we won't bring a stove. We'll just bring food you don't need to cook. But when we do, you know, fuel-wise, it is good to have food that you don't necessarily for example, you don't have to. You can leave your mountain house meal or your dehydrated meal in water for most of the day without heat, and it'll rehydrate itself fairly well. Right. You know, the heat helps, but I don't think people realize, like, if you just let it sit there in the sun or in your pack, it rehydrates pretty good to where at least it's squishy when you eat it. Um, right. You know, the other thing, too, though, is don't forget you are out there to kill something, so don't go too crazy because... um uh, you do need to get it back. So there are going to be a few things, game bags, you know, obviously the processing stuff. But overall, like the 550 cord some people bring, you know, I'm not repelling off cliffs. I bring that 1.8 to 2.3 millimeter guy line. That's extra bootlaces, guy outline, hanging my quarters, repair. It does everything, and, and you can really get by with not very much. <laughs> um, how about this for elk? Let's say elk hunting. Are you putting up a base camp, or are you hunting with your camp on your back? Uh, and what what's the um, what have you found works the best for your situation? Man, I hate hunting with camp on my back. So shit has gone epically wrong if I'm hunting with my camp like really wrong. Normally, we'll go into one area. We'll stay anywhere from one to however many nights until the elk are gone or we've killed one. And then we'll pick up, you know, we'll hunt around that area. Then we'll pick up camp and we'll move to the next area. That could be a mile away. That could be three miles away. You know, we may be doing a loop, but I do everything I possibly can to not hunt with my camp on my back. Obviously we're hunting when we go from A to B, but meaning the whole bivy hunt thing sucks horribly and you're extremely inefficient um, you're tired, you're not thinking correctly, you're not mobile. Uh, it, it's not like, you know, when you think about it, you drop your camp to go on a stock, you're dropping your life, right? It's not like, oh, I have daily gear with me. Everything is in that thing to go on a stock. And so, yeah, anyway, the moral of this that story is try not to hunt with everything on your back because it sucks. Okay. Okay, <laughs> and, and, and I know that... You do a lot of backpack hunting, but me and Bob are talking about, you know, these new guys coming out and me and Bob do a lot of hunting just from camp. Um, we do some backpack hunting, but a lot of it, you know, especially in Oregon, we do a lot of, uh, and it seems like everybody coming out from the Midwest or East, they think that they need to go in for a 10 day backpack hunt. I mean, would you agree that some of these guys just need to come out and set up a camp and, and try some day hunts? Cause you, you don't have to go backpacking to kill a mule deer or to kill your first elk? No, no. In fact, what's good to do is camp at the truck, get climatized, acclimated to the altitude, specifically in Colorado, um, hunt from the truck for a couple days, and then just spike out for an overnight or two. A lot of people, it's great for the state of Colorado. How many people come out for a 10-day hunt, go home on the second day, asses whooped, handed us 650 bucks, we're spending your money. You're on your way home. You couldn't make it. Figure out that you you even like. I mean, I, I was talking to my fiance about that show alone. Like, you do not know that you're going to make it because no one's ever alone anymore. You know what right. I mean? Like, when's the last time you're more alone for 24 hours? And so 
you don't even know that you're, you have the, the wherewithal to, to do it. And so having a, you know, spiking out for one night or two nights just to see how it feels is a good option. Unless you're just, if it's your life dream to go out and backpack hunt, I say do it, man. Give it everything you've mm-hmm. got. But if you're unsure, you're probably donating the state of Colorado about 650 bucks and going home early. Yeah, and I mean, go go on a uh, a, a summer fishing trip or uh, sightseeing, uh, whatever. Bring your camera with you. Go out and spend three or four days. You, there's, I don't care what state you live in. There's got to be somewhere where you can get two, three miles from the truck and get alone and and see what it's like and test your gear and get a feel for it. Don't wait till September to see what all that, how that all works out and plays out for you. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, any more advice for the, the newcomer coming out uh, to the West to hunt? Um, I'd say, you know, make sure you put as much effort in, uh, you know, physical fitness and, uh, you know, the animal behavior as you do in spending money on gear. Of course, that's from a guy selling, you know, Eight thousand, hundred thousand dollar backpacks. But truly, um, you should definitely, you know, get in shape. Don't worry about shaving four ounces off your gear when you need to shave forty ounces or forty pounds off your ass, right? I mean, you know, don't be hard to go work out a little bit. Don't worry as much about saving weight on your gear. It's fun to buy gear, and if you have, you're financially stable, by all means, spend away. But you know, really focus. In my opinion, the boots and the pack are the big ones for comfort. Um, you know, you don't need to buy a new bow every year or whatever, um, but you do need to be in shape and know animal behavior and learn as much as you can. from Not from Internet celebrities either, like from people that actually kill elk. Right. And make sure those boots are broken in and, 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 and your feet are used to them because, like you said, that is your foundation, having that, that pack in those boots. So definitely spend some time with them. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, that's, I think that's all, uh, good stuff. Um, what about, I, I see guys talking about, you know, bringing, I know me, I'll bring a quiver full of arrows and maybe an extra three or four arrows and some extra broadheads or whatever. But I, I seen a, I heard a podcast the other day where a guy was planning on bringing two dozen arrows with him. Um, and as an extra set of limbs for his bow and two strings. I mean, I think that, a lot of that stuff is ridiculous. Like you can have all that in your truck, and if you really need an, all that stuff, you know, extra. If your limb breaks or you need more arrows, you can just hike the five miles back to your truck and get it, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're traveling internationally, I'd say 100% bring extra limbs and a pile of arrows, mostly because you're probably gonna be shooting out of boredom too. But I mean, I, I am probably the wrong guy to ask that because I bring a quiver full of arrows and a reload. Um, but keep in mind, I shoot everything. And when I say everything, meaning if it's grouse season, I'm shooting a grouse. If it's, yeah. you know, squirrel, you know, porcupine, whatever the hell I can shoot, I'm shooting. And I fling arrows all day out of boredom. Um, and that's, it's not like it's for the, the big game that I need those arrows for. It's really for fun. Now two dozen that might, you might, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, Jesus, that's a lot of arrows. Like, a lot of guys don't even own two dozen arrows, but I would say at least three extra arrows um, going in with a smart and maybe a f- full reload if you like to stump shoot and fling arrows all day, which is usually where mine go down is from, from fling arrows practicing. 
Right, yeah. Like you said, I'll probably bring a quiver full, an extra three or four, maybe some extra broadheads and a couple blunts in case I have to switch some heads out or whatever because I screwed them up by shooting at grouse or squirrels or whatever. But I think usually you're pretty set on that. Yeah, and I mean, I got to, you know, for us, we're hunting multiple animals. Um, so that's a little bit different too, you know, on a backpack hunt, we generally have a bull, a cow, and a mule deer tag. Um, so, and we'll, we'll stay back there, you know, until a lot of those are on the ground, which takes a lot of arrows. And it also depends on how far and how much altitude we've had to, I'd rather pack an extra six arrows knowing I don't have to go back than going back because I ran out. But again, I mean, I'm shooting a lot. Some guys don't do that. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm winging arrows all day long. And so that's, that's why. And when I say winging arrows, like I stump shoot literally, I mean, constantly when I'm back there. And when I was with a compound, that's really where it was a problem. I get bored and shoot at stumps and then I'm breaking arrows and screwed. So yeah, right. I guess it depends on how much you like to shoot each day. Yeah, for sure. That's I the beauty of, of the stick bow. I like shooting all, all day long too. For sure. I've never heard of a guy packing extra arrow or extra limbs into the mountain. But that's the thing. I know guys bring portable bow presses in that don't know how to work on their bow. That makes no sense. I mean, I yeah. mean, it's great that you carried it, but you know how to tune your bow or, I mean, a reserve. I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. The only thing you do is put the string back on, I guess. Right. Um, what about when guys are coming out West and they're, you know, wanting to have every tag in their pocket? I mean, it seems like you really should have a plan if you're going to hunt mule deer, hunt mule deer, if you're going to hunt elk. I mean, it's nice to maybe have a second opportunity, but in most cases you should really, uh, not, uh, you know, stretch yourself out thin. What's your opinion on that? Yeah. I mean, I always say have the tags in your pocket, but the plan thing is key. Like, you know, the, the big, and this is all depends on financially. If you are not overly financially stable and buying a deer tag is going to, you know, arguably cause you a divorce, yeah, don't buy a deer tag. Just go elk hunting, right? I mean, don't add fuel to the fire. But if you're financially stable and an extra 350 bucks isn't bad, keep it in your pocket, but focus on what you came there for. And if you happen to be sitting on elk while a deer walks by, yeah, shoot it. But where guys get in trouble is, you know, three days into the hunt, they see a mule deer, you know, a mile off, and they're like, oh, we should go try and shoot that, which isn't, if you don't, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. Just know that the more you start bouncing around, that uh, that percentage you have of killing one is going down. It may be gaining on the other one, but if you only hunt that deer a day, you know, your percentage is, is, is you know, it's decreasing and increasing one way or the other. So I, I definitely think have an extra tag isn't a horrible idea if you can afford it, but you definitely want to stick with what you went out there for. Yeah. And like you said, financially, I mean, I, I tell guys all the time, like don't sign that lease on a $50,000 truck or don't put $4,000 on your credit card for new matching Sitka gear. If you can't afford to go hunting, like, you know, uh, I'd rather drive an old truck that's paid for and have money for tags and have, you know, be able to afford to take time off. And I think a lot of guys get caught up in this bow hunting thing. And they, they, I know guys personally who just have all the gear in the world, but man, they can't afford to take uh, more than a weekend off to go hunting because they're too strapped. 
So I think you really should plan your your lifestyle on having that time off and being able to go on the adventures than worrying about having all the latest and greatest if you can't afford both. Yeah. No, that's good advice. And I mean, yeah, it, uh, yeah, that, don't be afraid to, I don't know, you, you know, throw, what is that caution in the wind and head out? Like, oh, you guys get intimidated about coming and, um, yeah, you just need some boots and a few arrows and a cooler. And half the time, you don't even need a cooler. You figure it out, you know, just come out here and do it. If you wait till you're, you know, 40, 50, 60, you're going to look back and think, man, I wish I would have done this my whole life. Um, you know, hide money away here and there, money that you may have spent on beer, money that you may have spent on gear. And pretty soon, not that big of a deal to afford to head out to go go out west and go elk hunting. Yeah, and there's a ton of used gear. I mean, Rock Slide uh, is a great place for that. Um, there's a ton of used gear on there. Guys are uh, upgrading their gear every year, and there's some a lot of brand new stuff out there you can get your hands on for half off. Yeah, that was. I'm raising my hand for that one. I'm constantly ditching gear because I get so much to test. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I don't know. I think uh, I think we kind of took care of the the guys out east coming out. Uh, do you? You guys got anything else you think we should add to that? No, I mean I think we could talk Man. about it forever. Like I said, it go over and check out Aaron's podcast, Farucast, because he covers this real in depth. So thanks. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, Don't let your kids listen. It's a bit explicit <laughs> at times. <laughs> <laughs> what about? Uh, do you have uh, a podcast or a place you recommend where guys can learn about? Uh, running a compass and a map? I, there's one on Gritty Bowman I did. That's the best one that I know of that's hunting related. Um, and that's you can per- just go on YouTube and Google it. That's pretty early on, right? Like that's, uh, one of the earlier podcasts on Gritty, isn't it? Yeah, and it goes over it pretty, pretty in depth. Um, but I mean, the other thing too is if you got a local, um, REI or a local store that does, uh, you know, there's classes you can go to. Uh, there's books you can buy. There's tons of YouTube channels. I mean, we're at the day and age where you're just a type of a click away. So you can Google it and find some really good info on YouTube. Awesome. As always, we'd like to thank the listeners. And if you guys are uh, able to make it out to Michigan in June, we will be at the Compton Traditional Rendezvous. We're really looking forward to seeing you guys there. Don't forget to tell a friend about the podcast. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps the podcast out. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play. Check us out on Instagram. Our brand-new website will be up soon, tradquest.com. And always keep the wind in your face, pick a spot, and shoot straight.